It's time to lead the people. The show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed, and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsel. Ready to lead? Follow me. Let's start the show with Quote to Self, the segment where I share some of my favorite quotes about leadership and how I interpret them. Today's quote comes from personal development author and speaker Brian Tracy. Become the kind of leader that people would follow voluntarily, even if you had no title or position. Hey, thanks, Brian. I couldn't agree more. I have always ascribed to this leadership philosophy. Even when I was an individual contributor, I did everything I could to act like a leader. I tried to be excellent at my job. I demonstrated a positive can-do attitude, and I constantly studied my craft. Later, as a product leader, I built on these indirect leadership skills to deliver results as part of a cross-functional team. When I became a manager, I found that leading direct reports was that much easier based on my indirect leadership capabilities. It's not that I don't respect titles and reporting relationships, it's just that I don't rely on them to do my leading for me. So thanks again, Brian, for giving us this great quote as a reminder to be the kind of leader people choose to follow, even if they don't have to. People at the self-authoring stage take responsibility for their thoughts, feelings, and actions, and they're not very much affected by external influences. That was Susanna Katzman. Susanna is a leadership development consultant and a coach. She's held a variety of leadership roles in healthcare and higher education settings. She holds a master's degree in education in human development and psychology from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. In our conversation, Susanna contrasted a state of development known as a socialized mind with that of a more evolved state, a self-authoring mind. Let's listen in. All right. Well, Susanna, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Matt. So I had a chance to read your article. I was blown away. I made tons of great notes, but I just couldn't wait to get you on the show and talk to you all about the self-authoring mind. And so what I wanted to do is maybe we could start with a little bit of a contrast. How would you describe a socialized mind? Yeah, so socialized mind internalizes the behavioral norms and expectations of others, and it looks to others for direction, validation, and approval. And people with this socialized mind tend to make excellent team members and do good work when there is clarity about what's expected. Socialized mind needs clear instructions and relies on external authority for guidance when it comes up against challenges. Socialized mind is typically acquired in mid to late teens and early adulthood. My oldest son is 16 and not too long ago, me and other adults in his life breathed this collective sigh of relief because he consistently demonstrated his ability to make good choices, <laughs> to make those good choices, I know, without his parents, step-parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches needing to keep on top of him, which means he became socialized. He internalized our expectations for his behavior and when this shift occurs in a young person's life, it is truly a cause for celebration. 
Well, congratulations on that. You're a proud <laughs> parent. I love to hear that. Obviously, I think it sounds to me like a socialized mind is important developmentally speaking in a in a, uh, a civilized society, right? So, so we have our norms and we've imprinted them upon you know our, our young people in this case, and and that seems pretty important. But you contrast that now because we're starting to lean towards organizational performance. And you started to contrast that with an alternative mindset called the self-authoring mind, really the subject of today's show. So how is that mindset different from the socialized mind that you described earlier? It's quite different. Self-authoring mind no longer looks to others for direction, validation, and approval. It is well aware of what others think and expect and of the societal norms and all of that is subordinated to the internal seat of judgment, or you can call it internal compass, that the self-authoring mind relies on for guidance. People at the self-authoring stage take responsibility for their thoughts, feelings, and actions, and they're not very much affected by external influences again, aware of what's going on outside of them and yet giving much more weight to that internal voice, their own values and priorities uh, when it comes to making decisions. Among other things, self-authoring capacity enables us to operate with greater ease in a VUCA world. And VUCA stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, which is pretty much what we've got today, both in and out of the workplace. Um, and according to Bob Keegan's adult development theory, which talks about five stages of development, socialized mind is the third stage of development, and a self-authoring mind is the fourth. Most of the adult population is either at one of those or somewhere in between those two stages. Many of us, and this could include you and me, Matt, are transitioning from socialized to self-authoring stage, which is a process that can take decades. I really like that term that you use, the internal compass. Like You have to turn to that internal compass for some of your decision making when you don't have prescriptive guardrails, you haven't seen a situation before, you mentioned VUCA and it's uncertain and complex and, and having the confidence and the self-assuredness to say, I, I know what I'm going to do here in this situation and taking a leap beyond what the socialized, uh, I should say the, uh, yeah, the socialized mind can, can really uh, handle. So interesting. And I, I think you started to talk a little bit about uh, today's business environment is certainly you know, at, at work and beyond, we've experienced a lot of volatility and uncertainty. Does that suggest, or, or which mindset is it of the two? Socialized seems pretty appealing. You know, we want our employees to fall in line and, and do things that we want to be reliable, but at the same time, self-authoring in a VUCA environment sounded good. So which mindset's really best suited for today's business environment? Yeah, I think that developing self-authoring capacity is absolutely imperative for anyone who wants to take charge of their role at work and navigate today's business environment in a way that benefits them and the business. And this goes for senior leaders, mid-level managers, and individual contributors alike. 
And I say that because it's that self-authoring capacity, that internal compass, that um, that expression that you like so much, mm -hmm. that allows us to sort through the myriad of demands and expectations, many of which are competing. It is that capacity that's going to help us navigate the absolute onslaught of information and the confusion and frustration that it brings. Self-authoring capacity allows us to navigate competing demands with greater ease because it offers a larger frame than socialized mind. It also no longer relies on precedent or needs pre-approval before taking action. So I'll give you an example. Picture an employee who is asked by one key stakeholder to organize a lavish conference for existing and prospective clients of the company. And the different stakeholder is telling that same employee to conserve company resources. <laughs> and if the employee who is on the receiving end of those contradictory directives is at the socialized stage without much self-authoring capacity, they're going to be frustrated and they would likely seek additional guidance and approval before taking any action. And if that employee has substantial self-authoring capacity, they would likely look at the situation through a larger frame that includes all parties' interests, including the company's strategic interests, and construct uh, some kind of ingenious solution that they would then put in place without going through layers upon layers of approval. And beyond this one example, I would say that the greater the self-authoring capacity, the greater the degree to which one owns their role, and not just in a workplace, but also in life, it's that self-authoring capacity that makes it possible to take some calculated risks, to experiment, to innovate, and in general, operate according to one's own set of values and guiding principles, as opposed to the ones imposed from the outside. That's, that sort of uh, push-pull of conserve resources but throw a lavish party, that's, that definitely rings true. I, I see that a lot <laughs> in various situations where there's not a clear-cut answer. If it were an easy answer, it'd be easy, but it's not. There's exactly. competing, competing goals, competing resources, whatever it might be. And a lot of, you know, as you got me thinking about this, it's really, it, for me, the mid-level manager who finds themselves quite often in this sort of quandary where they have senior leaders from the top and they're coming in and pushing and saying, well, let's have innovation and agility. Let's change things. We've got to remain competitive and really want a lot of dynamism, if you will. But then the frontline employees and the first level managers that work for the middle manager, they really don't want to have risk and uncertainty. A lot of what they're being asked to do is drive efficiency or predictable outcomes. So if you're that middle level manager, how do you as a leader if you have either one of these mindsets, how are you experiencing these types of competing goals coming from above, from senior leaders, and from below, from frontline managers? Yeah, so what you're describing is definitely one of the challenges of leading from the middle and socialized and self-authoring managers are going to approach it very differently. Socialized managers who haven't developed substantial self-authoring capacity would likely find themselves perplexed 
by this dilemma and would attempt to resolve it by seeking additional guidance, by looking for precedents and so forth, uh, by looking outside of themselves for the most part. And mid-level managers who do have substantial self-authoring capacity. And I also want to say here that one does not need to be fully self-authoring in order to begin exercising their self-authoring capacity. So those managers might still seek guidance, but they would treat it as a data point as opposed to a directive. The directive would be provided by the internal meaning-making system that would view this conundrum through a filter of self-authored priorities and values. And this mid-level manager with self-authoring capacity would be more likely to take a risk to try something new and then to iterate based on what happens and what they learn. Also, Instead of being torn because senior leaders and frontline employees have competing interests, uh, those um, self-authoring, more self-authoring managers might construct a larger frame around this dilemma that holds the interests of all parties, including their own interests. And instead of asking themselves questions like, which group's interests are more important? they would be more likely to ask questions such as, given this particular situation at hand, what action on my part would best serve organizational strategic priorities? I see. Okay, so in expanding the frame and starting to include multiple stakeholders, that's that seems like that next level capability as we've moved and graduated from the third development phase around socialized mind into uh, self-authoring. And it makes me wonder when we think about where does the development of that self-authoring mind come from? I think a little bit, I'm a classic goals guy. I think about goals all the time. And so when you think about goals and, and, and I wonder if you might tell us, Susana, what role do stretch goals, like the ability to go further than what you think is maybe naturally possible. What role do those stretch goals play in, in developing these types of capabilities for self-authoring leaders and, and, and even for their teams? Yeah, stretch goals can be very important because stretch goals where falling short of target doesn't impact performance rating or compensation, they make risk-taking safer. And risk-taking promotes development of self-authoring capacity, so we definitely want employees to practice taking calculated risks. I personally found that setting stretch goals for myself helps me keep the focus on the question of what am I learning as opposed to am I meeting my goal? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I, I like that. And I, I really like how as a leader, if you want to develop this sort of self-authoring capability in your in some of your people, it's okay to provide a stretch goal as long as you make it psychologically safe. And from a performance perspective, you're talking about making it safe in order for the confidence to take those risks to go up. Now I can try in a safe environment to stretch myself a little bit and, and experience for myself some of that inner compass like we talked about earlier and trying to make decisions in the face of ambiguity and, and, and the type of complexity that, that you shared. Uh, you, you were just hitting on, on uh, and you found for yourself when giving yourself a stretch goal, you're able to go back to one of my favorite questions, 
you'd ask yourself, what am I learning? And, and so when a leader asks, what are you learning? Why is that such an important question for them to ask? Yeah, it's hugely important because asking what are you learning makes people stop and reflect. And reflection is a key practice for development of greater mental complexity, which goes along with development of self-authoring capacity. It allows us to observe our learnings about ourselves as leaders, about our teams and others we work with, and about our organizational culture. When we truly meditate on the question of, what am I learning? We often surprise ourselves with learnings that differ from what we thought we knew for sure. <laughs> when we don't ask that question, we're on the risk of skipping over some learnings that could push us to that next level of mental complexity, which is another way of saying learnings that would support cultivation of self-authoring capacity of that internal compass. I love Richard Elmore's way of mining for the learnings that promote development of mental complexity. It is pretty formulaic. It is about um, completing two prompts. I used to think, and now I think. I love a good formula because it allows me <laughs> to feel like uh, you know I can I can borrow from from something that's tried and true. So, okay, so let me understand. So I used to think blah, blah, blah. And now I think something else. So can you give me some examples of some responses that you might see or that you have seen to this, I used to think, and now I think formula? Sure. I am happy to share some examples from participants in my leadership development programs. So here is one. I used to think that team members' individual skills and achievements were most important. And now I think that team alignment and harmonious relationships are even more important. So that's one. Another one is, I used to think that I can make this project a success. My drive and ambition can overcome any obstacles. And now I think I need the support and commitment of others to make this project a success. Okay, ready for the last one? Ready. <laughs> okay. I used to think that I need to share my ideas with others. And now I think I need to ask questions and listen to the ideas of others. I love those examples. I love them because they really show growth, right? They show movement, I like to call it. So I used to think, and now I think it shows distance that you've traveled and that could only happen through reflection. You can't, if you don't reflect, you're not gonna make that type of a, of a mental leap. So I think those are three really great examples and three really different domains. You know, you're talking about everything from support and resources or asking questions. This literally comes up all the time with leaders. So I, I really love those examples. So a lot of this, when we can't hard, it's hard to talk about goals, especially when we talk about working with other people, meaning that uh, the people around us could be coworkers, could be certainly our direct reports. And we can't think about asking them and inviting them to grow and to stretch without thinking about rewards, what we incentivize, how we, how we create incentives and, and, and how we define rewards. So if I'm a leader 
and I'm working with my team members. I want to help them develop that sort of self-authoring capacity. You've taught me to uh, help them feel safety so that I can have stretch goals that encourage them to take risks in uncertain environments. When it comes to rewards, should I choose between an individual award or should I look more towards team-based awards? Like what are some of the considerations that I need to be aware of as a leader going into something like that? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. And the answer is, it depends. Um, it depends because individual bonuses reward individual performance and may set up team members to compete with one another, which means that they may not share information and resources that they would otherwise if a financial report, uh, reward was not at stake. And team bonuses reward collaboration, which when done well, supports development of greater mental complexity. And team bonuses are also trickier to administer because what if the team performance was stellar overall and one team member clearly did not pull their weight? So the situation could be a tough call for the manager to make. And there are also times when a manager should consider both. For example, salespeople tend to be competitive. And so individual bonuses can be very motivating. At the same time, setting a target for the sales team could encourage greater collaboration and better results overall, both in terms of revenue and in terms of developing that self-authoring capacity that I talk about in the article. <laughs> it's very meta. I like it. It's, it's saying that, hey, there is no clear-cut answer here. Your socialized mind is not going to help you as a leader. You can't determine whether you're going to have individual or team-oriented in every situation. You're going to have to use your judgment. You have to rely on that inner compass to make your determination of how to reward that team. That's very yes, nice. exactly. So, Susanna, I've always enjoyed our conversations, and I, you and I met up on LinkedIn. But I wonder if you might tell my listeners, how can they connect with you and learn more about you and your work? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, please feel free to grab my free guide. It's called Three simple steps to greater confidence in yourself as a leader. And it is on bit.ly.com forward slash learn with Susana. That will give you a better idea of my work. Very nice. I'll go ahead and include that link in the show notes and in the description of this podcast episode. So it'll be easy for people to find your resource and to learn more about you. Thank Very you, Matt. Awesome, Susana. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And, and on behalf of our listeners, thanks for sharing your insights about the socialized mind and, and the self-authoring mind. Really cool it, stuff. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Here are my top three takeaways from today's episode. One, while having a socialized mind may help you be a great team member, having a self-authoring mind is more critical than ever to be a great leader. Two, a self-authoring mind can be developed with practice. Doing so requires you to take calculated risks and design novel solutions in ambiguous situations. Three, a great way to ensure that you fully absorbed a lesson learned is to use the formula, I used to think, and now I think. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment in your leadership ability, and thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders, until next time. Don't just manage the business when you can lead the people.
It's all about experimenting, you know, just what we've talked about. If it oh, yeah, flops, it flops. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. You're not kidding. 